We started a new series last week called Instimacy. It's a made-up word. Um, we came up with that, but it is a combination of words, really. So intimacy, we all know what that is, right? Emotional closeness. And this, this is not a sexual thing. It's not between a husband and wife, intimacy. This is emotional closeness. So you can have an intimate relationship with about anybody in that emotionally. You're just close with them. Instimacy is to say, I want that now. I don't want to have to go through the hassle of working on a friendship. That takes a lot of hard work, and I don't want to do that. I just want to jump to a relationship right away, and we know it takes more than that. And we trust that God said it this way, that he built us and he designed us in a certain way. And early on, early in Genesis, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created us in a certain way. He created us to have relationships with each other, and it's important. Even introverts need relationships with others. You can't be an introvert and say, hey, I got an excuse. I'm an introvert. I'm out. I'm going home. No, you even need relationships and friendships. That's important. Now, we said it last week, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude, at times we all need that, but isolation, we don't. Because God created us to need friends. No matter who we are, I'd even say no matter what kind of animal we are, we need that. So every once in a while I come across a video that I'm like, I can't hold this one back. I've got to share it. And it doesn't fit like on a Sunday morning at all. But sometimes if I wait a few weeks, I can find a way to work it in a video to share. And this is one of those. I'm like, you got to watch this. This one's just fun. This is free. There's no extra charge on this video this morning. All right. But you're going to like it. Watch this video. It just pops right up. Just start eating his lips and just stares into the camera like I'm eating your garden what are you gonna do about it early on in the season I noticed damage to my garden I've had pests before but I knew it was something different more stuff was gone I would have big giant tomatoes you would take a chunk out of it and then move to the next one take a chunk and the next one I was looking around for like tracks or help me identify you know what it was early on I really couldn't find anything. I set a camera out with a motion trip. I got a notification on my phone, and I look, and it's this groundhog. Out of nowhere, it just popped right up in the camera. At first, I was really upset. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe this happened. I put the fence higher. I put logs around the fence to prevent stuff going on, and he was still getting in. He was coming by at least three times a day, staring, like, right into the camera. Other animals would like take food from the garden and just kind of run off with it. They don't stick around. But he always parks in the same spot and always just stares right at the camera. We don't know if he just loves his reflection or what. It actually became a little bit like I was like looking forward to it. He was really cool. Just the way he was going about every day and just seeing his character. It only took about a week or so for him to win my heart over he was like, wow, this guy is awesome. You know, he's, he can have whatever he wants. I was giving him space and just let him do his thing. Because he would go by and he would just take like a chunk out of the tomato. I was like, all right, I'm going to call him Chunk. I've learned a lot about him. He's under the shed. 
It's perfect because it's so close to the garden. Favorite stuff are carrots and tomatoes. The messier the food, the better. It's so sloppy, loud, and like chompy smack. If a human was eating like that, I would have to like leave the room. But if Chunk's doing it, it's kind of cool. One day at work, bing, the phone's gone off. I'm just thinking, ah, oh, it's just chunky again. And I look, and there was two of them again. I was like, what? And they're like hugging and kissing in the camera, and they're fighting, and like talking back. It's like a relationship. He brought the middle, like, hey, I got a spot where we can fatten up. <laughs> You're welcome. And you, you wonder, what does he do all week? This research. This is called research. Um, we all need friendships, right? We all need relationships, no matter where we're at. So let me jump here. I think it's kind of a theme for this morning, at least. This comes from Solomon, well, the wisest man to ever live. He wrote many of the Proverbs. So in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, this is a New Living Translation, said it this way, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, and you get into trouble. So true. And we know this. So I'm going to put it this way. This is going to be the theme. We're going to see this over and over again this morning. But I want to say it like this as well. So remember this. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You know it. You know this to be true, because you've had bad experiences with this and good experiences with this, where friends have influenced you in a good way or a bad way. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You're going to become wise, or are you going to get into trouble? So um, we've seen this research. Maybe you have as well, and you know this to be true. You are the average of your five closest friends. So think about your friends and your friend circle, the five closest friends that you have. You're probably in the middle of that. You're average of those friends. So I want to say it this way um, to our teens. We got a lot of teens in here um, this morning. You guys had a lock-in last night. Hopefully it went well. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm so excited for our youth group and what's going on. I got here early this morning and walked into the youth room. Oh, it smelled over there. It's yeah, um, it, I don't go over there this morning. We'll air it out this, this week. Teenagers, all right, let me talk to you guys. It wasn't the ladies. The boys all stayed next door. Um, when your parents are paranoid about who you hang out with, it's for a reason, because they understand this. So your parents probably get pretty paranoid about who your friends are, right? They want to know who your friends are. They want to know who you're hanging out with. And they don't want you to hang out with the wrong crowd because they understand this. What Solomon wrote, if you associate with fools, you're going to get into trouble. And so they care about that. And so I want to say this way as well. If your parents are like really paranoid, like over the top paranoid about this, it's probably because they hung out with some pretty um, sketchy friends when they were your age and they did some pretty stupid stuff and they're just having flashbacks. Um, so trust them in this. They know what they're talking about. Um, this is why we love it when you come and hang out with our student ministry. Um, here's another reason, and I'm going to put it this way. Maybe we can understand it like this. Stupid rubs off. It just, it does. Stupid rubs off. Paul wrote it like this. First Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. And you think, you know, I'm the good one. I'm have good character. But if you hang around with the wrong company, it will corrupt you. 
you'll be drugged down because stupid rubs off. Profanity rubs off. You've watched this before. You're doing just fine. You start hanging around other people that swear a lot, and pretty soon you're saying things that you didn't ever think you would say. Laziness rubs off. You used to be pretty motivated, and now, because you're hanging around with some pretty lazy people, you're not as motivated. Anger rubs off. Apathy rubs off. And we know that it's easier to be pulled down than it is to pull people up. So wherever you're at in that scale, it's hard to pull your friends up or you up, right? It's, hard, it's easier to get pulled down. So pick the people who pick the right path, and you'll end up in the right place. Pick the people who pick the right path. Or show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Or as Solomon wrote it, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, and you'll get into trouble. Um, friendships, I, they can, the friendships that I have made in my life, and I've watched this through different stages of my life, have determined the decisions that I've also made. And when I'm doing well, it's because I've chosen good friends around me. So I want to talk about this. Um, I have the privilege, I'm at this stage in my life where I have the privilege of dropping off my youngest daughter at school every single day. Um, her name's Ruby. She's going to be embarrassed, but I'm going to say it anyway. Today's her birthday. Yay, Ruby. Ruby's 13 today, and I get the privilege as a dad. It's just a stage of life that we're in and where I work and what I do and where she goes to school and all of that. I get the privilege of every morning, Ruby and I, I get to take Ruby to school and drop her off, but it's not just Ruby. Um, I'm kind of like the carpool dad in this. We pick up two other kids on our way to school. So we go down through our neighborhood and pick up another little girl. And then we come backtrack a little bit and pick up another little boy. Then we head off to junior high. Um, And on the way, the conversations usually aren't much. (laughs) There's not much to talk about that early with junior high kids. Um, So we usually don't talk very much. But this is what happens every single morning. We're in the carpool lane getting ready to get out, and as they get ready to open the doors, I say, hey, be nice to someone today. Hey, guys, have a good day. Um, You be the reason someone's happy today. I try and do it with a positive attitude as they're walking out. They're tired, they're groggy, they're trying to get to school on time. And I try and encourage them, be nice to someone. You be that person that makes somebody else happy today. I don't know if it's working. I really don't know. Um, It's not just Ruby, it's these others. They get out and they shut the door and off to school they go. Um, Every once in a while I get the chance to ask Ruby at the end of the day, how'd it go? Did you make somebody happy today? And sometimes it's, eh. You parents know how that conversation goes. We just let it go and it moves on, we're fine. But sometimes she tells me, yes, and this is the story and I hear about how that happened. But I know this. It was a long time ago, but I remember junior high and high school My kids, when they're on their way to school, are not thinking, wow, I hope I get a good education today. (laughs) That's not running through their minds. They're not thinking about, I hope my teachers got a good night's rest and they're coming in prepared to educate us and teach us good things. That's not what they're thinking about. I know what you guys think about. You're thinking about, I hope someone saves me a seat at the lunch table. I hope someone cares about me today. I hope someone says hi to me. I hope no one picks on me. I hope someone is nice to me. I hope someone makes me happy. 
And it doesn't change. The reason I remember that is because at 47, I still feel the same way. We all go to work thinking, I hope someone's nice to me today. I hope someone treats me well. I hope that I can be a good friend to somebody and somebody is a good friend to me because I believe it. Our world might be getting smarter. I'm not sure it's getting any wiser. So we have to keep going back to the truth of Solomon. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. And if you associate with fools, you get into trouble. So are you becoming wise? Are you sharing that information? So here's what I want to do this morning. This is where we're at on this intimacy concept and idea. I want to teach you today how to choose good friendships. How do you choose wisely? But really, it's not me teaching you. Jesus is going to teach you this morning. He's much better at it than I am. I'm just going to share with you what Jesus did in this. So I'm going to jump around a little bit um, throughout um, Mark and Luke. We're going to bounce back and forth to a couple different places. So um, some of it's going to be on the screen. You can look through it if you want. Um, Mark chapter 3, we see this. Jesus went to a lake, and he was teaching his disciples. He was on a boat. He was teaching his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. A couple chapters later in Mark 5, Mark writes that a large crowd soon gathered around Jesus. In Mark 8, it says again, a crowd had gathered. Actually, 45 times throughout the book of Mark, Mark records that a crowd was following Jesus. And and this was a large crowd. He was a celebrity. I mean, he was doing miracles and feeding them. And if they would have had cameras, we'd have called them Pavarazzi. I mean, they were just excited to see what Jesus was doing. But they were just there for the entertainment. They weren't there to follow. So Jesus had another group of people. We call them disciples. And these disciples, there are probably a few hundred of them. And they followed Jesus because they wanted to be like Jesus. They wanted to learn from Jesus. They wanted to grow and understand life from Jesus. There may be apprentices that were getting closer to him. But something happens. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, these would be the hundreds, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. So this is what happened. These large crowds followed, but when Jesus started to teach, they're like, hey, we're out. We just want some food. Um, and there were um, then apprentices, disciples, and they said, we want to be more like you. And so here were hundreds surrounding him, and Jesus started to do this. What Jesus did, he looked out and he goes, I'll take you. I want you. Yeah, I'll take that one. You can follow me. Yeah, no, you And you, what a jerk, right? I mean, he's he's selecting people out of the crowd. I mean, he's Jesus. Can't he lead them all? Um, Come on, right? But he does this. It doesn't seem fair. He only picks guys even. Why does he do that? If I were of the bigger crowd, I'd be like, "Um, what about me? You didn't choose me. I want to be one of the 12. I want to be a follower. But then he does something even more. He gets even more selective. We read a story about a girl who dies. And Jesus goes to the house. They say, they come to Jesus and says, hey, we got a problem. Our, our daughter just died. Would you come? Mark chapter 5, verse 37, it says, and he allowed no one to follow him in except Peter, James, and John. Jesus went into this house and performed a miracle. He brought this little girl back to life, and the only people that got to see it were Peter, James, and John. 
The other nine didn't even get to go in. I don't know if the house wasn't big enough or whatever the case was, Jesus only selected three. Again, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it says, After six days Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. This is the mountain of transfiguration. And he leaves nine of them at the bottom of the mountain, and he takes three of them up. Were they the best hikers? I don't know. You know, what was the case with that? But only three of them got to see the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to meet Moses. If I was one of the nine, I'd be like, whoa, time out. How come I didn't get to go? What did I do wrong? Over and over and over again, we see this even at the end of his life, right before he's arrested and crucified, he's going to the garden to pray. And he brings all 12, but he says to nine of them, you guys stay here, three of you can go with me to here, and I'm going to go in a little bit further and pray. Um, if I'm the other nine, I'm trying to find a way to weasel my way in. I kind of like it, later on we see Mark chapter 13, there's this obscure line, um, Jesus was making a prediction about the future, and it actually says in verse um, 3, Peter, James, John, and Andrew... I like that about Andrew. Here's Andrew like, hey, can we make it four? I'm trying to squeeze my way in. I want to be on the in crowd. How does this work? Now, it could be that Jesus is just a complete jerk, and he's, he's cliquish, and he's trying to develop his own clique, and he doesn't like everybody um, else. Or, I mean, that's one possibility maybe, but I really think that it's because Jesus knows something about human nature. He knows something about relationships, something that we desperately need to figure out ourselves. So I want to show you. I think it's good if we have a visual. So I want to show you something here. Um, we've got Jesus here in the center. So here's Jesus, and we're going to put you here um, in a little bit. You can put yourself here with him, but for now, let's just see how Jesus did it. So Jesus is at the center, and then a big group around him, a larger circle, that would be the crowd. They just wanted mostly food. They didn't want teachings or anybody to judge them. They just give me food and then I'm out. That, that was the crowd. Then they, he had a circle of disciples, followers, people that wanted to be more like him, that wanted to learn and grow. Then he had the 12, another circle a little bit closer to him. These were the apostles, the ones that he hand-selected to be in his group that he spent more time with. But then he had his inner circle, three. Just three guys that were in his inner circle. And this is how Jesus did relationships. But I want you to see something with this. I think it's very important to watch. Jesus was very intentional about his relationships. He didn't just let them happen. He was very selective on who he chose to be close to him and who he let be part of the crowd. Now, get it. Know this. Understand this. Trust it. Believe it. Jesus loved everyone. He wasn't excluding anyone. Um, he, he doesn't, that doesn't mean that everyone got access to him though. Just because he loved everyone doesn't mean everyone got the same access to him. Jesus came to serve everyone. He was there to die for everyone. But that doesn't mean that he could serve everyone one-on-one. On one. Jesus came to change the world, but he did it by pouring into a few people. So I believe that you and I, we, we need these circles. We need to understand relationships with each other, and we need to understand how to select that. We at Crestview, Crestview as a church, we need these circles. Um, I believe it. You have a crowd. We all have a crowd. 
If you work at a large place, you might not know everybody you work with. They might be part of your crowd. Maybe your bigger neighborhood. You might know the people that live right next to you across the street, but the bigger neighborhood. Um, maybe if you go to a ball game, the fans that cheer for the same team you cheer for, you might recognize some of them every once in a while, but they're part of a bigger crowd in your life. And we have different crowds that we might run into. But we need these other three areas. At Crestview, we would say that the disciples circle um, is this right here. It's our Sunday morning group. It's who we come to worship with. And we need a big crowd as we come to worship. I think it's important for you to be here on Sunday mornings to look across the room and see people that you don't even know, but to think, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that worships this God. And that's an encouragement. I'm not alone in my faith journey. There's other people, even if I don't know them, that are doing this with me. We need that large crowd. But I also believe you need a smaller circle. You need a life group. You need a small group of people that you are doing life with, that you meet with on a regular basis, um, that you're maybe studying with. Or if something happens with you, that you've got some people that will come around you. Or if something happens to somebody else, you are one of them and you get to come around others. But it has to be a group where you know them a little bit better. You know where they live. You know what they do. You spend time with them on a regular basis. And I I believe this with all my heart. When we relocate as a church um, later this fall, when we move, we need more of these groups because we're going to grow. And as the church gets bigger, we also have to get smaller. But as we get smaller, I need more of you leading these groups. Some of you are going to have to step up and say, I'll lead a group of 10 to 15 people. And you become the leader of this group. You find your group that you are doing life with. And we'll help you out with that. But we need more of these groups so that we can grow smaller as we grow larger. But you also need an important group. You need that inner circle. You need a small crew of people who know you intimately. Who you trust who trust you, who you can be yourself with, and they're not going to judge you at all. And they're going to let you be that and still love you at the end. Who is that for you? Who is in your small circle that you can just go and be with at times? Robin Dunbar, an anthropologist, she says it this way. She says, your brain is only capable of maintaining friendships with 150 people. It's kind of our cap. Some of you may be a little more, some of you may be a little less than that. But we can be friends with about 150 people. If that's the case, man, it's essential. It's so important that we recognize who is in our circles. Why? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. Associate with fools and you're going to get in trouble. So as we think about this concept and why this is important, I want to to kind of just bring us down to two aspects of this. I want you to walk away from here with two important things. As you think about this graph and what is here, two aspects of this um, first. And I wanted to do this last, but I think it has to be first. First, Jesus has to be at the center So when you put your name in on this list, you can't take Jesus out. So picture your name in on this in the middle of the circle, but it has to be kind of slash Jesus. Always you and Jesus. Jesus cannot be 
taken out of the circle. You have to do it with him there. You must have people follow Jesus with you, but no one can follow Jesus for you. So Jesus has to stay in that middle with you. There's only one person who connects you to God, and it's not a saint, it's not a pastor, it's not nature, it's not your grandma, it's not your best friend, it's Jesus. The only one who makes us right in front of God is the Son of God, Jesus. He's the only one who died for our sins, he's the only one that rose from the grave, he's the only one that can make us pure and holy in front of God, and we have to have that relationship with God. Without that, we cannot be close to him, and it has to happen through Jesus. So when we talk about wisdom, understand it this way. Wisdom is not something. Wisdom is someone. If you walk with the wise, wisdom is not intellect or knowledge. You can't learn more wisdom. Wisdom is someone. God is the embodiment of wisdom. And apart from a relationship with God, you can't be wise. Maybe smart, but not wise. And the only way to get that is through Jesus and what he has done for us. So our hope is that God wants to be our friends, and God wants all of us to be his friends. So through the action of Jesus, we can receive that grace of what he's done. And the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us then in wisdom and our relationship with God. Jesus, a friend of sinners, Jesus who had many friends, he is the only one that can pull people up instead of being pulled down. And if you get rid of Jesus out of your circle, you're going to be pulled down. you got to keep him there so you can continue to pull people closer to him. So here's the second thing that I, that I want you to walk away from with this. Not only does Jesus have to stay in the middle, in the inner circle, your inner circle, I believe, has to be other believers. might be hard to hear and some of you might disagree with me on this. And it's not like there's a rule. I don't have like a Bible verse now that I'm going to throw at you and say the Bible says you have to do this. Um, But I want you to hear me through. When I'm down, when I'm depressed, when I feel like a failure, I don't just need someone to go hang with me. I need someone who's going to encourage me with scripture. I need someone who's going to pray for me to the same God that I trust and believe in. I need someone who is going to give me eternal truths to hang on to. Someone who's going to say, Devin, remember the gospel. Don't believe the lies of Satan. And not just give me a worldly perspective on my situation or what's going on, but someone who has an eternal perspective of hope. To say, keep your head up, not because of the world, but because of eternally what Jesus has done for us. The reason is because it's easier to be pulled down than to be pulled up. So I have to pick people who pick the right path. And if I pick people who pick the right path, then I'll end up in the right place. Now, when I say your inner circle has to be other believers, I'm not saying exclude people. You're not, you're not kicking your friends out. You're not excluding them, but it's like what Jesus did as well. Everyone can be in one of your circles, All of your friends should be somewhere in your circles, but your goal should be to bring them closer to Jesus. And if your inner circle are other people that trust and believe in Jesus, then when you pull your friends closer into that circle, they're coming closer to Jesus more than they are you. So I'm going to encourage you, name the people. Write some circles somewhere and put some people down in that. 
and make sure that those inner three have the same values, um, the same beliefs, the same encouragement that you would want to give to somebody else. And then as you stretch out, man, make sure that there's people in those circles that don't know Jesus so you can bring them closer to him. So when I was doing this study, I was looking through this and I kept thinking this and, and I wanted to know why Peter, James, and John. I was listening to another pastor preach about this and he answered the question. I thought this was great. Why Peter, James, and John? Why did he choose those three? And, and I still have this in me. I'm not sure I've answered this one quite yet. Did Jesus choose Peter, James, and John because there was something special about them? He said, you guys are special. I want you to be part of my group. Or did he choose them? And because they were part of the group, they became something special. The answer, I think, is yes. Both. I think that Jesus picked them because there's something special about them, but also because they hung with Jesus and they were close in that, something special happened with them. And, and here's what I came across. And it's not till later in Scripture. Paul, who, the Apostle Paul, who was not around, he was not one of the apostles. He was not one of the 12. So he wasn't through um, the Gospels hanging out with the 12 apostles. He came along later, but he was writing to a church in Galatians, in, in Galatia, is the name of the town. And he wrote this little letter to this church. And in chapter 2, verse 9 of Galatians, he writes this Paul writes, Peter, James, and John, who were known as pillars in the church. I get it. James, he was the first martyr of the church. He was the first one to be killed for his beliefs, and he emboldened other believers. We read that in Acts 12, what he did to encourage other people. Peter preaches the first sermon in the church. Acts chapter 2, we read about that story. He gives the first sermon for the first church. John, some scholars believe that his gospel was the first gospel written even though it's the last in our book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John was probably written before the others. So here you have it, the first martyr, the first preacher, and the first gospel. Pillars of what we're still doing today. And Jesus knew, if I can pour into three people, and if I can impact these three people, I can start a movement that will affect Billions. And 2,000 years later, we are still meeting together as a church because Jesus poured into Peter, James, and John, and they affected the other nine, and the other nine affected the hundreds, and the hundreds affected the thousands, and the thousands continued this on to millions, and we are part of this movement, billions of people who still choose and follow Jesus as our friend. So here it is. If you don't know Jesus and you don't have him in your inner circle, I want to introduce him to you. I want you to have him in your circle. You've got to get to know him and, and trust him and believe in him and follow him. If you do, then who are your friends? Choose them wisely so they encourage you and they can pull you up. And then continue to choose friends to bring them closer to him. We're going to spend some time right now remembering how Jesus became our friend and what he did for us specifically. So if you would, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and we're going to prepare our hearts for a time to remember Jesus and his gift to us. Let's stand and sing.